Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. This week, social media giant Facebook unveiled plans to launch a new digital currency called Libra. Uh, This is meant to be coming online next year and apparently we'll be able to um, keep our Libra currency in a digital wallet called Calibra. And then we'll be able to send money to and from each other as easily as sending a text message. Of course, there are all sorts of um, concerns about security, etc. But look out for that. The weather's been the topic of of note this week and it has had an impact on footfall in the high street uh, retail monitor springboard suggests that uh, shopping is down five percent more than five percent compared to the same time in that glorious sunshine of 2018 and of course heathrow airport have announced the construction of their third runway to be completed uh, by 2026 as part of its 2050 uh, planned expansion However, this week we've decided to focus on something that is important for for pretty much every business and it is recruitment and therefore interviewing. How do we go about interviewing people when people are so far flung and we have so many things that we need to be mindful of? So that's our focus for this week. Tracy, what have you got about interviewing? Well, I do know that recruitment and retention is a hot topic at the moment. Virtually every company that I know that's needing to recruit is is struggling to do that. And retention, therefore, is obviously a big issue because Mm. they they don't want to recruit if Mm. they don't have to. So I've just recently gone through um, a recruitment process and I've probably made some of the big mistakes that I've just researched as well. Um, So I, I found an article on LinkedIn which was talking about new interviewing techniques. But the first thing it said was where traditional interviews fail. So according to this research from Talent Solutions, 63% of interviews don't assess candidate soft skills appropriately. 57% fail to understand a candidate's weaknesses. That classic question, what's your biggest weakness, maybe is at fault there. Um, 42% uh, have shown bias of interviewers. Uh, 36% too long a process. And 18% of not knowing the best questions to ask. So I think a lot of traditional interviews... I think I'd hold my hands up and say probably a fair percentage of those I've been guilty of myself. But then this is what I wanted to ask you is a few of the innovations it mentioned in the article. Soft skills assessments, job auditions, uh, meeting in casual settings, virtual reality assessments and video interviews. And these were what they were recommending to help to resolve some of those traditional problems. Have you had experience of any of those, Heather? I Well, I remember a long time ago uh, going through an interview process, which was an absolute nightmare um, because you were in a room with 30 other delegates and you spent the day being assessed on various things. And I can always remember that you had to bring... I was a lot younger. Um, you, ha- you had to bring something with you that you could that that you would use to describe yourself and I found that really really hard Um, but what I found most difficult was that of course 
every every other person in the room was slicker, smarter, what, what prettier. The cream that comes to the top there are the people who are skilled in BS, yeah. aren't they, really? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't necessarily mean they're best for the job unless the job is bs yeah yeah and it was a sales job yeah. um and uh and the other and then we also had to do activities and i'm in those days certainly in a setting i would be the one that would stand back and listen and watch and then come in at the end so I, I i'm not a great one for that because i think you get a false impression of the people who are in the room because the people who talk a lot talk a lot and the people who've got the most to add tend not to say anything <laughs> So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that as a strategy. I don't know about the video interviewing. I mean, we used to have telephone interviews before you'd sort of get through the first phase. I'm, yeah, I'm, I've done that. I've used a Skype interview to do the filtering mm, before you invite people mm. to a face-to-face meeting. And I think that's worked quite successfully as long as people can get through the technical hurdles. Yeah. Although I do know people who teachers who have um have had all of their interviews done via uh, Skype and gone and, tr- and taught overseas. So they've been appointed based on <laughs> just video in- interviews which I find which I think is better than just relying on a, a, a written CV. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, you know, it does you do at least get a, an idea of the person and how they can interact socially. Yeah. Whereas just relying on the written words doesn't really give you that, does it? No, no. I, I, I liked what you, um, you picked up on in terms of the shortening the hiring process. I came across some um, five techniques um, written by an organization called askspoke.com and they, they manufacture ticketing software. So that's, you know, um, information sharing software on a sort of closed network. But they say that most recruiters and employers report that it takes between three and six weeks to get candidates through the interview process and present an offer. And candidates are rarely willing to wait more than two weeks. Now, it is a blooming nightmare when you're trying to schedule interviews. But one tip that they came up with, which I think is is a brilliant one, and and it's it's kind of kind of obvious, really, Schedule the interviews into your diary before you even advertise the job so that at least internally you've got the relevant people, their time allocated rather than going, right, OK, we've got a short That's list. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. In some of the organisations I've worked in, you've got a whole load of people ready for interview and then you can't coordinate Absolutely. Them, people to interview them. And, it, and it, it, when you think about it, you go, yeah, that's a no brainer. But actually, um, it's, don't always think of it, it can yeah. cause a massive delay. You, you, you so that um, I thought that was really interesting. And they're suggesting that, you know, agree on milestones before you post the job. You know, when will the closing date be? When will we really have sifted the ap- applications? When we will make when will we make our first shortlist? When will we you know, when will we come together and, and de- de- decide on the definitive shortlist, etc.? I've always appreciated it myself. So whenever I've advertised a job, I've always tried to do this but to make the timeline very obvious in the job apl- um, job advert yep. as well. you know. Yep. So we're expecting to close it on this date. We'll let you know by this date. Interviews are expected to be this date. And that helps everybody to prepare. So if you're going on holiday and you know it's going to fall at the time that the interview is, you know you've either got to change something or, or you're, you're not, not applying for that job. Yes, yeah. yeah. But also... Um, we talked about you know retention uh, and the cost of recruiting you know that that it's massive so if you appoint the wrong person you've got to go through the process all over again uh, and that in itself can be um 
can be a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a nightmare. So, um, but but one of the things that that um, I think we all perhaps shy away from is being, you know, the questions that we mustn't ask. As you, an employer, as an employer, yeah. yeah, you know those those protected characteristics that we need to make sure that what is a seemingly innocent question could not actually be interpreted as being discriminatory on some level. Um, and of course, we need to, you know, the protected characteristics are age, gender reassignment, marital state, marital status, pregnancy, disability, race, color, nationality, ethnicity, religion, sex, sexual orientation. Uh, and, you know, it is, I mean, they've got workforce advisor have got 10 interview questions to avoid. Um, you know, one of them is, is this your married name? Um, if you went on maternity leave, would you want to return to work full time? You know, that's a question that perhaps a lot of people would want to ask women of a certain age, but you can't. Um, how will you plan your childcare? You know, which to me seems like a fairly, you know, reasonable question but if if that was deemed to be a reason why you didn't give somebody a job then um you're potentially causing yourself a problem there is quite a lot of guidance available um so that you you don't fall foul of these sorts of um mistakes in interview so if you are interviewing it is well worth doing your research beforehand because you don't want to trip yourself up over something where you you meant to ask a genuine question but you phrased it really badly yeah so it's worth doing your research on that i tell you what one area that always uh, gets me is the the question that the um the conservative leadership candidates were actually asked in uh, the debate on Sunday night, and that was what, what's your biggest weakness? <laughs> Don't you always hate oh, that? Oh, have we got a list? Well, <laughs> <laughs> most people do dread being asked that at an interview, but how how do you answer it without sounding like a complete cliche? I, I've got a running joke with a friend of mine where where we'll read the. Um, I think it's in The Guardian, they have like a, a profile of a celebrity and sometimes they say, what's your biggest weakness on there? And we, you know, we'll always send each other the message when it's somebody saying, oh, I'm just so perfect. I'm just so caring. I'm just so, I'm too kind for my own good. All of those Yes, I'm of just answers. too lovely. Yeah. But uh, this article that was published this Monday, actually, um, on BBC website, it said, why, why do companies actually ask that question? And, and they, they give a good reason. It's not just to catch you up. It's actually to help the interviewer to determine whether the conclusions they've drawn about you are correct. Okay. So it's an opportunity for them to delve into your character more. So the suggestions here are to be bold. So don't do the, I'm a perfectionist or I'm too stubborn. All right. Um, try and come up with something that's you know that is actually a weakness but isn't isn't dreadful yep. so they do suggest that you you think about it and you come prepared so you know what the role is so that your weakness isn't something that sort of writes you off for the job because that yeah, would be or good. is totally irrelevant like i'm no good at juggling yes yeah avoid platitudes and be honest but not too honest because if you don't appear to be genuine, you just sound like everybody else coming out with a platitude. Mm. But then obviously, well, we know what being too honest can mean. Yes, yes. What, just one thing that um, I also found in this, in this um, spoke 
uh, report was the whole idea, and I, I've coached quite a few people, and I've said that I think that the day the day of applying for your dream job is perhaps gone and that you need to go and seek it out. You need to find those organisations that you'd like to work for and then approach them um, because it may be that you approach them the day before they post a position uh, and they they talk about GE and how they work very hard to raise the profile of themselves as an employer so that people are attracted to the organisation and so they are talent and the talent makes the approach to them. I think that's really important in an interview as well and whenever I've conducted an interview I always make a point of saying to the interviewee you're interviewing us as well because we we want to if we want to offer you a job we want to know that you want the job and you've really thought it through and you've considered what we're like as employers as well so it really is particularly with uh, recruitment being so tough at the moment it is a a two-way street Mm. yeah for sure for sure because I mean I've been for interviews in the past and I've thought actually I don't want to work for you So let's have a look at some of the other news uh, about business in the world of business that um, we've been looking at this week. So at the end of last year, the ASA outlined new rules, giving advertisers six months to prepare for the introduction of a ban on adverts featuring harmful gender stereotypes. And this week that ban came into effect. So that's a ban on adverts which could cause serious or widespread offence and it's such scenarios a man with his feet up while a woman cleans or a woman failing to park a car and what they've introduced this ban um, the advertising watchdog have said that it's because they found some portrayals in adverts can play a part in limiting people's potential now, i've got to say i think adverts these days are a lot better than they used to be if you look at the history of advertising Much particularly say so the 50s <laughs> the, yeah oh yeah they're, they're quite <laughs> different aren't they but i do I think it's still quite strong isn't it we just tend not to notice quite so much i don't think unless it's a, a really bad one but have we become so used to expecting to see the man struggling with the baby or, and the woman struggling to park? I, I don't I don't know. I, I tend to, I have to admit, scroll past the adverts because I tend to not watch much live TV. And if it's recording, I'll just whiz past them. So what's your experience of adverts recently, Heather? I'm a bit like you that we tend to avoid them. I think my gut feeling is that I only notice it when it grates. I think that a lot of work has been done and there is an improvement and we are, you know, bucking the trend a little bit. Um, But I know that this, for example, this really started to rear its head um, around Easter when I think it was, was it the co-op? Yeah, the co-op had an Easter egg advert that said, be a good egg, treat your daughter for doing the washing up. Oh, right. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. And that that yeah. great, doesn't and it? That, yeah. And then, you know, and there's a picture of, and it's a fair trade Easter egg and everything. So they I would tried see, really hard with that advert as well, didn't they? Yeah. Ooh. So I would see that and it would great. So it's a bit like when you kind of don't notice it unless it's a problem. And then you go, ouch, was can they say that? But I find that often, just with advertising in general, sometimes they say things that aren't necessarily gender positive or, or negative. But I just think, can you say that in an advert? Is that the right thing to say in an advert? Do So I struggle sometimes anyway with advertising. But 
but yeah, we've moved on a long way. But and I think work it's to be guidance done. as well. It's more there to make the advertising company stop and think: Is this harmful? Is it going to cause serious and widespread offence? It's not completely um, black and white. The, the rules aren't completely black and white. But I think anything that makes people stop and think: Is this right? Is this okay? I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It, it, I think it should. I think adverts should kind of drift past you and you remember the product. You don't remember... The advert. <laughs> the advert, you know, that, that there was something in the advert that if it's doing that, then somebody's missed the mark somewhere in the advertising company or, you know, whoever it is. So, um, yeah, but it's something that's been going on for a long time. I, I noticed that the BBC also ran an article back in May last year, 2018, um, where Channel 4 um, was offering free airtime for a company advert that comes... Uh, for a company that comes up with an idea to change the way that women are portrayed in TV adverts. And they wanted to be a catalyst for change. Um, and they, so they were being proactive. So this has obviously been um, on the agenda. And Unilever um, came out and said that they were going to use less less sexist ads. Not easy for me to say. Um, because... Yeah, do you remember, we all remember the fairy liquid advert when it's mummy and the little girl and, you know... Do you, do do you the remember the shake and vac advert? Oh, well, I sing it. Yeah, I sing it regularly. Sing it. I know all the words. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you find out this week? Okay, all right. So moving on from that, I um, came across uh, something that was announced yesterday, if I can just find it on my feed, um, that is going to affect many businesses oh i'm sorry i'm trying to find the uh and it's around late payment um where where businesses small businesses in particular are, are suffering at the hands of larger organizations who are tardy with their payments um demanding um longer payment terms you know potentially um 90 days and that's 90 days after the end of the month in which the invoice was raised and there you go uh, it's 120 days which most small businesses can't manage so the small business commissioner has announced that they are going to be some new measures put in place to ensure that small businesses get paid on time uh, and that there will be fines potentially um, if large businesses don't don't adhere. Now, that doesn't mean that small businesses can't play ball too. Uh, it works both ways. But what's your experience? Because it is a ma it is a major problem, isn't it? It is, but the main thing that I'm taking from that is I'm really pleased the Small Business, business Commissioner is, is doing these things. We mentioned him a few times now over the months, and I think it's over a year ago when we first mentioned that this um, this role had been established. Yep. And we were a bit concerned that it might just fade into nothing. But there's been a number of press releases out recently about it, and I think it's, it's all good. The fact that it's making the press as well means that you know that they're getting their story out and they're, and they're making people sit up and pay attention to it. But... Payments, yeah, it's a, it's a massive thing, isn't it? I think if you're expecting a payment and it doesn't come in when you expect it, it can take your business down. And I worked for a business where exactly that... Now, we did have a lot of eggs in one basket um, and we were a small, a relatively small business playing with the big boys, um, but they knew that at the point at which we won the tender with them um, and the payment terms were set. But as soon as they started... And they were brilliant at querying invoices... 
Yeah, and we had a whole department to query yeah, an invoice. Yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah, yeah. And, and and wouldn't you know wouldn't even pay part of it and and hold you know hold some back. But um, ultimately, what you're doing as a small business is funding yeah, that larger business. You're bankrolling them. You're yeah. giving them a loan, aren't yeah. you? It, yeah. Every every day they're late, you're lending them money to keep yeah. their business going. Yeah, and and morally it's wrong. Um, and I think that you know this is something that clearly is uh, is under scrutiny. Um, so. Yeah, fingers crossed that that actually pays dividends, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about pay. Two articles caught my eye. So the first article, you think, oh, that's interesting. And then the second time you see it in a different source, you think, OK, there's something going on here. So the first time I saw um, an article on this, it was on the BBC business website. And the headline was get paid when you earn it. And then on LinkedIn, I saw a, a link to the financial director website about income streaming and the benefits to both employees and employers. Now, the article on LinkedIn said that income streaming can Im improve staff morale, employee productivity and assist with talent acquisition. Now, it, it's one I can't quite get my head around. And I think I'm going to have to keep an eye out for developments on this. So there's a, a company called WageStream that has been founded, which enables employees to access the money that they earn in real time. So rather than waiting to get paid at the end of the week or at the end of the month, they get their pay as soon as they've earned it. Oh, OK. Which apparently has boosted retention rates, productivity and job applications. But then I can see all the negative sides with that. It's like, well... Your mortgage doesn't drip out as you were, yeah. you know, it, you, you don't pay every day for your mortgage and you have certain payments that come out at certain times of the month. And in my experience with pay, even just changing somebody's pay date in the month causes massive ripples in their personal finances. You know, if you move it from the end of the month to the middle of the month or vice versa, it takes a while for people to get used to that. The idea of it is and the way it's being sold is that you do away with the payday loans yeah and so you get your money as you need it so i can see the point of that but I've, I've got other issues with obviously other payments that are going out however wage stream although they would say this wouldn't they they said that they've got clients in both the private and the public sector and there's some big names there that they quote and they've they've identified csr corporate social responsibility and hr advantages to the service that they're offering so i'm going to keep an eye on that one that I'd, i can't come down either side on an opinion on that but i want to watch it and see what happens i think they're purporting that how it will work is that you actually will say you know money will will it's it doesn't go into your bank account and then you go down the pub and spend it all or blow it on a car or whatever it is that you a, that a percentage of your wages goes into a savings account um, however the savings are really quite the savings rates are really quite low at the moment yeah so well. so yeah so i, I don't Although really they know. think is it better in your account than in your employer's account yes and i suppose it also then perhaps building on it is you know the whole thing about i mean i can't remember what the term is but you know when your your mortgage interest is calculated you have a single account yeah and it so on payday, you've got more money in your it's account, hopefully. Setting off, so yeah. yeah, offsets the um the the interest. So yeah, it's one of those things perhaps that, you know, at the moment we go, how the heck's that gonna work? And in five years' time we'll all be doing it. I think it's one to watch. Mm. This is the part of the show where we talk about things that we've discovered this week. Um 
as part of the research for the show, we come across all sorts of different bits and bobs. But I wanted to share with you something called bookbub.com. It's an American site, but don't let that put you off. Um, because what it does is it shares books that are available at discounted prices. So instead of trawling through the likes of Amazon to find out, you know, what's available for 99p or, um, you know, half price or whatever, you can look at different categories and then you it'll send you emails telling Almost you... Almost daily, I think. Yeah. Things are signed up. Yeah. 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 So, for example, so um, so yesterday I got an email, uh, 99 pence instead of 4.99 from Amazon, Richard Koch, The 80-20 Principle. Brilliant. That's a book that I would buy, no problem. It's 99p. So you click through, you go to Amazon, you buy it. Now, I guess they're getting a kickback on of this, but I don't really mind. Um, because if they get some pence to help them keep their website going, like we would ask you to do if you buy any of the books that we mention because we get a few pence to keep our website going um I, I, I'm, I'm fine you've just saved me four quid so you know I'm, I don't care but there are all sorts of categories so there's business there's um advice and how to so if I click on advice and how to uh, time management in 20 minutes a day um Fast Focus, uh, Apple Cider Vinegar for Health and Beauty. I mean, you know, Beekeeping for Beginners, one forty nine instead of three ninety nine. Now, they're not all books by famous people, but they're a quid. And so I, I just thought it was a really good one. And I've, in fact, I sent you a link, I think, Trace. You did, to, I signed up. Yeah, yeah to get you um, to get you on, on the mailing list as well. Um, so I quite like that. Uh, and... The other thing that I found was as part of the research into the business um, guru that we're going to be talking about, I came across a guy called Evan Carmichael, who is a coach, is a mentor, is, you know, he's full on. He's trying to change the planet um, to help people realize their full potential. And okay, you could get immersed in all of this. But the reason that um, the thing that I was interested in is that he's got a YouTube channel, which is really interesting. You've heard us mention five minute books in the past where, you know, somebody's read four minutes. Sorry, four minute books. Thank you, Tracy. Where somebody else has read the book so that we don't have to and then just gives us um, the bare bones of it. Well, this is a bit like that. He has posed a question, posed a scenario, and then has edited a number of videos of interviews with people who are talking about, um, for example, the six best lessons in life from Elon Musk, Warren Buffett and other billionaires. Um, Five lessons in life people learn too late. Uh, Steve Jobs' 10 rules for success. I could go on. Uh, But all the greats are there and they're they're really well watched. They're all, you know, fairly easy to digest. Uh, And I just thought that's a great resource if you want to not read 20 books um, but get the nub of of some inspirational business tips. What have you got, Tracy? What have you discovered this week? Well, I discovered a little gem. I, I wasn't expecting to like this book. I, I found it either through a link that you sent me. I, I was exploring yeah. and this book popped up and I thought, oh, let's have a look. And it's called Big Ideas for Small Businesses, Simple Practical Tools and Tactics to Help Your Small Business Grow. It was published in 2017 and the author is John Lamerton. And I just thought, well, I'll just have a quick whiz through this. I'll, I'll see, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. I, I've read it and I really enjoy it. Ah. 
Yeah, and I've I've got it on Kindle. Yeah, but it's one of those books that I would actually quite happily own um, because I've highlighted it loads on Kindle. Thank goodness for that um, facility on Kindle. A couple of things to mention. One is there are a lot of quotes in it. I like quotes. Okay. We like quotes. We don't do we? like quotes. Beginning of each yep. um, chapter, there's quotes. They're good quotes, and also. From the acknowledgement section, he writes a little letter to Warren Buffett. Oh. So I thought I'd mention it since oh, you mentioned yes. Warren Buffett. He says, to Warren, we've never met and likely never will. But on the off chance you read this, I want to thank you for being you. You're an inspiration to me. Whenever I have a decision to make, business, investment or personal, the answer usually comes to me when I ask myself these five words. What would Warren Buffett do? Oh, <laughs> isn't that lovely to have that yes. said about you? I'd be very pleased if I was well, Warren I hope Buffett. Warren gets to read that. But it's a, I think the best thing I can say about the book is it inspired me to action this week. Uh, now, that is the big difference, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it actually got me doing something. And Heather noticed a flurry of activity. <laughs> the other day, yeah, you were just oh, asking me, what, what about doing this, this what about that? Like, we're doing stop, this. stop. And, and so reading through the book, and he talks about um, ambitious lifestyle businesses. And he's, he's a British guy, and he's um, had some business success. He's had some business failure. He's very honest about all of it. But he explains what he means by ambitious lifestyle business. And he's, he's not using the lifestyle business in the negative sense, which a lot of people, it's yeah, only like a lifestyle it's a hobby, business. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about people who want to build their own business, not somebody who's just pursuing a hobby and pretending it's a business. He's talking about owners of small businesses who've got ambition, drive and desire to grow and succeed. But they also want their small business to provide them with a certain lifestyle. So he's here talking about you could take your business and grow and grow and grow and grow. But at some point, you lose what you got in it for. Yeah. You lose your family time. You lose that connection. You lose the ability, lose the ability to make your own decisions. Potentially fall out of love with your business. Yeah. And that thing, happens so much. Yes, yeah. yeah. Because it becomes a bit of a millstone around your neck rather than I'm, 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 I found something I love and I'm getting paid to do it. Yeah. And so he talks about not being ashamed of having a business that you set up the intention to enjoy running yourself, making your own decisions, and you set yourself some ambitious lifestyle goals. And he was talking about he created a, a vision board where he'd got a sauna and he'd had this extension and he was going on these holidays. And that's how he worked to make his business achieve these. He wanted a cleaner and a gardener. So okay. they were on his vision yep. board. And he also talks about multi-level marketing and how he doesn't see that as being quite the same because for him, having the lifestyle business is being able to make your own decisions. And he was saying that with multi-level marketing, in his opinion, you're not able to make a lot of those decisions because you're given the product, you're given the marketing, you're given the business model. So he's is it paying you have to, to work within within the, the rules restraint. of that. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. talking very much about you are the master of your own business and you make those decisions to suit the lifestyle goals that you set for yourself. I really liked it. I liked his style of writing. I, I liked the personality that came across and his argument was very clearly put and there was some real practical advice. But as I say, the, the best endorsement I can give it is it inspired me into action this week. 
and so it's called Big Ideas for Small Businesses, Simple Practical Tools and Tactics to Help Your Small Business Grow. And the author is John Lamerton. And you will be pleased to know that the books we mentioned today will be available on our website, the business.community, with a little link to our blog so you to at the soundcloud so you can listen to that and if you do click on the link we do get a few small pennies towards keeping the soundcloud account open this week we're profiling robert toru kayasaki i have no idea if that's how you actually pronounce his name um but his you will have heard of his name if you've um, been anywhere in terms of looking at business leaders motivational speakers etc he is an american businessman and author prolific author um and the founder of rich global and rich dad company which is a private financial education company that provides personal finance and business education to people through books and videos. Uh, he has a wife who seems to um, be quite heavily involved now in taking the business forward. Uh, and if you Google his name, you will find countless videos, um, articles and links back to his books. He is incredibly rich at the moment, although has been bankrupt um, throughout his career. Uh, he was born in 1947 and he, uh, yeah, he's the guy that we're looking at this week. Tracy, what do you know about Mr. Kiyosaki? Well, I own one of his books. Oh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, you've got that one. Okay. I have. I read it many, many years ago. And uh, at the time, there was a bit of me that thought, oh, he's really mean to his poor dad, isn't he? He's really mean. He's unkind to his poor dad. Rich dad's so great that I, if I was poor dad, I'd be hating rich dad. As it turns out, all these years later, um, rich dad was actually a fictional character, which when you look back on it, you go, yeah, nobody could be that great. <laughs> yeah, mate, was it what he wished his father was more like? I don't really know. Apparently, he says that it's meant to be a guide to wealth and that the rich dad was a fictional character. And the books, because there was more than one book, there was a follow on to this and, and others. Uh, he's actually written 26 books, I believe. Incredible. Um, and it says it's supposed to be interesting rather than involve a lot of technical material. So at the time that I read the book, I was in a certain place in my life. It was a very interesting read. So that's true. And I also got involved in a game. So he, he started this game called Cashflow. Mm. And the lady that ran it, I found it was really quite useful. It was a good little tool. It was like a coaching tool. And we, we um, a little group of um, businesswomen got together and we played this game, having read a little bit about it. With hindsight, I look back on the book and I wonder whether, did I think that at the time? I'm not sure. Or is it just from what people have said about the book? But with hindsight, I look back and think, actually, I found the book quite intimidating because it was advocating you taking some quite big risks. And, and as I've since read um, uh, other people writing about this, actually, some of them edging on being illegal um, risks to become rich. And at the time, I just felt like, actually, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not brave enough. I'm, I'm not... Um, in a part of that gang and so I took away from that that I'm not going to get rich or I'm not going to get rich that way and I, I, I associated far more with poor dad 
<laughs> I've got to admit. But I think maybe that's just with hindsight, I'm looking at that now. It's mm. easy to say, having read other people's critiques of the book. So that's my sort of own personal experience of it. And it was quite interesting reading about him this week, researching for the show. I have to admit, I haven't read any of his books. Um, I've watched a few YouTube uh, videos and um, is he my favourite person on the planet? Not yet. Um, I don't know if that it's possible that he will be, but but not yet. But I think that there are a few things that he says, snippets that actually you go, oh yeah, okay, and and you know you it, you might think about that. Um, I mean, I, I as you might expect, I looked at the four minute book summary, uh, and for example, he um, he says. Uh, create an I want and an I don't want list. Now, I think that's quite a good idea. Yeah, because, I like that. Because I know that sometimes when you say to somebody, what do you want? They have no idea. You go, okay, well, let's start with what you don't want because it's easier to say what you don't want. If you could spend money on anything, what would you spend it on? <laughs> okay, what wouldn't you spend it on? Okay, right. Now we're starting that's to get good, somewhere. Good point. Yeah. So, so it's little nuggets like that that um but the other one is where he talks about as the way he describes assets and liabilities yep. which i thought was a, a really interesting and a lot of the commentators have said actually is is very wise so what does he say um we, he he differentiates between what's an actual asset and what's a doodad a doodad doodads are things like posh cars and fancy things and okay. you know expensive watches where an asset is something that you own that's actually going to bring value to you and a liability is something that you spend money on that you end up spending more money on yeah okay so an asset is actually yeah. got earning potential liability is, is just going to cost you more and and his descriptions of that are really quite useful and actually is helpful for people who are trying to decide what to spend their money on particularly if you're starting a business the doodads don't help you know mm. the expensive watch and the the big flashy car might look great but it's not actually really helping you to build your business yeah I, yeah that, I, I get that I, I think a lot of his books um and a lot of his story is about being brave and it's easy to be brave when you're when you've got money in the bank um but I and, and you know and you've got you're known and you've you've got something but or when it's not your money you're investing. or it's not your yes. money yeah yeah and so I think that sometimes you know some of the stuff that he says might for me it might be well I am brave you know I do run my own business that is brave yeah um I don't have a regular salary coming in that is brave uh, how brave do you want me to be yeah uh, are you suggesting that if I'm not brave I can't achieve great things in which case then I point you back to the book that I mentioned this week and and the author John Lamerton who's talking about being brave and bold with your ambitions, but also following that up with actions to make you make that through your business and do it that sort of way. Also, two things that, that um, struck me as you were talking then is one of the things that Robert Kiyosaki has been um, criticised for by his, his critics of his books is that he is is actually been talking about getting rich, but has actually been bankrupt. Now, I, again, I refer you back to the author of the book that I really enjoyed, John Lamerton. He makes no bones about the fact that he's been bankrupt. He talks about, you know, I've won some, I've lost some. Yeah. And I, I'm going to share this with you because sometimes you can learn from other people's mistakes as well as your own. But maybe the difference with him and with Robert is that 
is Robert open about his bankruptcies? Is he open about his failures? Because if all he's doing is presenting this shiny front and saying, isn't everything wonderful, then that lacks the authenticity, doesn't it? Well, it's just like a photoshopped, you know, world that we that we live in. But there's nothing wrong with failure. You learn no, from absolutely. failure. But it's how you dress it up. And, and then also how you sell to the customers or how you sell your products and your ideas to the people who've bought into your uh, your concepts and your philosophies. One thing I would say is you don't actually need to buy the Rich Dad book because if you go to Robert Kiyosaki's Twitter page, it, Twitter feed, it is literally just postings of statements from that book. So I reckon you could pr probably get most of the book from Twitter. But there are things, occasionally you read it and you think, oh yeah, whatever. But sometimes you'll read something and you go, oh, okay, that's something, that you know, that's something worth pondering and thinking on. So, um, do you have any quotes for Mr. Kaisaki? I don't, I'm afraid, no. Yeah. I, I'm sure if I, I dug deeper, there, there would be some. Um, I would point you towards his Twitter account, like you say, because there are nuggets from the book there. And his Twitter account is at the real Kaisaki. So that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, do join us uh, next week for more business community on Calon FM. Uh, but don't forget that you can... Listen again via our podcasted version of the show, which is at thebusiness.community. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. <laughs>